Good morning, church. Good morning. It says. Let's go ahead and praise our God. My hope is. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're just grateful for this time where we can come together and worship you. Father, we pray that we do that in spirit and in truth. Father, just um, be with each of us tonight as we listen to your word. Father, help us to take it in, to apply it to our lives, see the wisdom in it, see the truth in it. God, right now we just think about our world and just uh, at times it feels normal when we're together here at church or maybe in our family systems or at a soccer game or something like that, but it just also feels so crazy. Father, we know you are in control and we just need to be reminded of that, Lord, that even in the midst of this crazy world and, and all this stuff that's going on and all this, the, the questions we have that we don't necessarily have answers to, God, we, we still can trust you. Still know that you're in control. Still know that your will is going to be done. Father, I just uh, pray for our missionaries. Life's been so different for us here at times in America where... As we talked about this morning, we're just blessed to have a freedom and how so many people gave their life for that freedom. Uh, God, I can't imagine what it would be like to live somewhere else, somewhere that's not quite as free. Father, so I just pray for our missionaries. I know they're all going through different, unique circumstances in their own lives in the way that uh, all this is playing out. I just pray that your will will still be done, Lord, and that uh, they can still be powerful influences and evangelists for your kingdom. Again, Lord, I just pray for our sick, for those who are physically sick. God, heal them, comfort them, 
thinking about Lex specifically and, and Betty and I know there's more but I just pray that you accelerate the healing process if possible that you make them um, as comfortable as possible I know talking to Lex this week he he wants to come home God we just pray that he gets to come home soon get back into his environment that he's more comfortable in Father, just uh, be with us. Help us to be the light in the world. Help us to be the city on a hill. Help us to be the salt of the earth. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Because God, we know it is the hope and the salvation for all mankind. We thank you so much for your son for the sacrifice he made on the cross, for his body that was broken and his blood that was shed to redeem us. Father, he was perfect. He was the unblemished lamb of God. And no one could kill him. He freely chose to lay down his life, even putting aside his own will to do your will. Father, I pray we all learn from that example and do our best to follow it. Again, we thank you so much for his sacrifice that gives us the hope of eternal life, the reconciliation from our sin. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. Restore my... for this time that we have that we can reflect back to the cross to remember the suffering that was there remember the sacrifice that was there and re remember the love that you had for us and the love that Jesus had for us as we partake of this bread we pray that that you'll bless it and we'll do so in a manner pleasing unto you in Christ's name we pray amen Our Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful for the blood that was shed upon the cross. We're thankful for the, for the power that's in the blood that it's able to wash away our sins. 
We're, we're thankful for Jesus that was willing to shed that blood because he was the only one that he was the only one that could. He he took our sins and, and washed them away. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, we, we pray that once again we'll do so in a manner pleasing unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful for all the blessings that we receive in this life, from our homes to our jobs to our, to our families. We're, we're, we're so blessed in this, in this country. And at this time, we, we want to return a portion of those blessings to the church that it might continue to grow here and it might strengthen our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In moments like these, I sing out a song, I sing out a love song to Jesus. In moments like these, I lift up my voice, I lift up my voice to the Lord. Singing out I love you, Lord. Singing see those here that are here and those in the foyer. I'm going to talk about covenants. There's two. Preview. There's only two. I'm going to talk about the contrast between the two of them. The idea here that I had is 
What do we keep? What do we let, let go by the way? Sometimes I've had discussions with folks to say, well, you know, we've got the New Testament, but we still have rules or guidelines or something from the Old Testament that are still relevant. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. And Jeremiah is talking to the people. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. Now what I've done on this in the scripture is I've highlighted in black where it's talking about the new covenant, and in blue where it's talking about the old one. So it said, with the house of Israel and their house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them in hand, by hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. So the difference here is between stones and your heart. I will not write it again, and I will be their God, and they will, shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the grace of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember them no more. So the new covenant versus the old covenant is being contrasted here by Jeremiah. And I'm sure the people of Israel are going, What? What covenant? Well, they know about the covenant that they have, right? That's talked about in Exodus, chapter 34, but it also was introduced earlier in Exodus. Then God said, Behold, I am coming to make a covenant. This is talking about the original covenant. Before all you people, I will perform miracles which I have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hizite, Hittite, the Pizzerite, Perizzite, the Hittite, the Jebusite. Watch for yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down the altars, smash the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, for you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. So this is the institution of the new covenant, the only covenant they had at the time that Moses brought, that he brought to the people. But where is it? Where was it written? Well, everybody's familiar with the Pentateuch, the first five books. But it really starts in Exodus with the Ten Commandments. Begins to get the law. And it's probably the most part of the law that we are most familiar with. But it also is in Leviticus. There's 27 chapters of law in Leviticus. You know how many times we've studied Leviticus since I've been at this church? Zero. Numbers. We have studied numbers, so that's good. But about 14 of those chapters out of the 36 are talking about law. Deuteronomy. It's another one we've never taught since I've been here as far as the 19 of the 34 chapters are about law. We've picked some things out of Deuteronomy, but not the whole book. The point is, is there's four books, particularly the last three on the list, that contain the law. Now, what the Jews did was they said, let's take the interpretation of the law, and then interpretation of the interpretation of the law, and they added to it. But the law is quite extensive as far as what was brought to them. But in Leviticus, why did he bring the law? Why was the law brought to the people? 
You are therefore to keep all my statutes and my ordinances to them. And I'm going to jump down there, down through this. I am the Lord, your God, who has separated you from the people. So he separated the, him, them, from all the peoples. And this is at the time when they've come out of Egypt. The reason is, in verse 26, Thus you are to be holy to me, for I am, the, I am Lord, I am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. So the people didn't set themselves apart to follow God. God set them apart to follow him. And he had a purpose for them. With the law to show them how they could be in fellowship with God. They didn't follow it very well. In Matthew, Christ in early in his ministry is talking to people that's there. He talks about, I do not think I came to abolish the law. The law being the basis for the first covenant, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass for the law until all is accomplished. Now this is on the Sermon on the Mount. This is very, very early in his, in his, um, in his ministry, where he's talking about the law. And he's talking about fulfilling the law, not destroying the law. That's a big difference because fulfilling it means that he satisfied every part of the law. The law showed perfection. The law was the standard for perfection. And Christ fulfilled every single part of the law to be the perfect sacrifice for us. The perfect enduring sacrifice that we needed to have fellowship with God. That was the purpose. In Luke, and this is the night before he's going to be crucified, he's with the, the disciples. And he's got 11 of them, because one of them took off. And he's talking to them. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. They're thinking to themselves, suffer what? For I say to you, I shall never eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he's talking about the kingdom that's coming. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine from now until the kingdom of God comes, which is going to be that Sunday. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which, which is given for you. For this, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, in the new covenant of my blood. So Christ talked about at the beginning and at the very end of his ministry to say, there's a new covenant. The covenant is coming because of me. When he talked about it at the beginning of the ministry, it was how he was perfection. At the end, on how he was going to be the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, for issuing in the new covenant. Now I've got a, quite a few slides on Hebrews. But Hebrew, the Hebrew writer, which we don't know who it is, had a whole bunch of things that he wrote in this chapter, in chapters 8 and chapters 9, to talk about the contrast between the old and the new. And that's where the blue and the black kind of came in good because it kept me straight when I go through and read it. We have a, such a high priest. Now, now, the main point is what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tab tabernacle, 
which, go, which the Lord pitched, not man. So the contrast here is they're used to, and a Hebrews writer is talking to the Hebrews, they're used to the tabernacle with a priest, but it's all earthly. It's all man-made. The contrast he, here ha he has is he's entered into the kingdom as the high priest at the right hand of God into a sanctuary, a true tabernacle that was made not without hands. He goes on to talk about the true one, the one they understand, or they've always understood. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. So it is necessary that the high priest would have also have something to offer. Now, if he, Christ, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Why? The tribe of Judah. He, wasn't a, he was not a Levite. Since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of things to come. So the shadow of things to come was the tabernacle here on earth. The real tabernacle was always to be in heaven. The real tabernacle was always to have the high priest that was the perfect sacrifice. I'll jump down to six. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. So now you have a contrast between the two covenants that says one's better than the other one. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. If people had been able to keep the law in the old covenant perfectly, you wouldn't need the new one. Perfection could be attained by ourselves, but we couldn't do that. If you have one little thing you do wrong, you're out. The next part that's all in bold is what I already read some out of Jeremiah. But let me jump down to the, the, the end of it. A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So the conclusion that the Hebrew writer is driving towards is to say, the new covenant is better. If the old covenant is now obsolete. It doesn't exist if there's a new covenant put in place. He goes on to talk about it. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared. An earthly one, a physical one. One that they went through and they had to make it a specific way. The outer one, which was the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, which is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered with all sides of gold. In which a golden jar holding manna. And Aaron's rod was budded, which budded, and the tables of the covenant, the tables of the covenant being the Ten Commandments. And above it were the cherubim, glory or shouting, the mercy seat. But of all these things, we cannot now speak in detail. So he just did a description here of what the old tabernacle was. It had two chambers, it had a holy place and a holy of holies. He talks more about it. And when these things had been so prepared, in other words, they put them together, the priest continually entered the outer, ta outer tabernacle, performing the design worship, but only into the second, the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and of the people committed in ignorance. Now I'm going to jump down to nine. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So people still had remembrance of their sin. They were given sacrifices for forgiveness of their sins, but they still had their conscience of their sins. And it wasn't the sacrifices themselves that absolved them of the sin. It was faith. 
I mean, later on in the book of Hebrews, it goes through faith over and over again. It's because what they did, it was because of faith. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle. That tabernacle not made with hands. He entered in through his death, through his sacrifice as the first sacrifice. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not of this world. That tabernacle is eternal. The tabernacle here has long since gone away. Matter of fact, at the time that was here, when they came out of Babylon, they didn't even have the Ark of the Covenant. It was gone. It never came out of Babylon. May have been melted down for all the gold. I don't know. But we never hear about the tabernacle. Not through the blood of bull, goats, and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So in the previous slide, it talks about the priests had to go in daily, and they had to go in once in a year, and like that. With this one, Christ goes in once. Once for all. In Matthew, it kind of reinforces a little bit when Christ died. Okay? They're talking about the physical tabernacle, which is part of the old covenant. It's going to go away. It's obsolete. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was opened. It was open to everyone, not just the priests that went in the Holy of Holies, not the priests that went in the holy place, but to everyone. The old tabernacle was obsolete. It was open. The, the closure and the access to God that had happened under the old law was now done away with. Now everyone had access to God. Back in Hebrews, to, to finish up the thought, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since a death was taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. It is never in force while the one who, who made it lives. So Christ had to die to put the second covenant in place. But again, you can't have two covenants in place, particularly when they're in contrast with each other. Therefore, even the first covenant, which was not inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats, imperfect things, but the blood of them, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. So again, it was a precursor of things to come. An understanding that the covenant is enacted through blood, but it was a facsimile of what was to come. The real thing was the perfect sacrifice and the eternal tabernacle with the mighty God, with Christ there by his side. In Corinthians, Paul had several books that, well, about every book he wrote, it was, it always had some of it that talked about, you're trying to keep them both. You're trying to keep the old law and you're trying to keep the new law and they're incompatible. So here he's talking about it. At the beginning, we commend ourselves. So he's talking to the Corinthians and Matt's been going through this particular one, I think, 
on Wednesday nights, and we've talked about it, but he's talking about credibility for himself. But, but then Paul begins to talk about the two covenants because he have Judaizing uh, Jews that are coming in that are trying to convince the people in Corinth that they got to keep the old law as well as the new law. So Christ cared for us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the God, living God, not tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So the contrast here is stone is it's written over here. It's, it's something you see and you try and follow. But if it's written in your heart, you do it because you can't help but do what God wants you to do. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Under the old law, they said, well, if I keep all the rules and invite that, I've saved myself. I've lived enough of a perfect life that God has to accept me because I follow the rules. That's adequacy from ourselves. And under the old law, they could never be adequate because they could never keep it perfectly. But our adequacy is from God. It's from Christ. It's from his perfect sacrifice, which makes that covenant better. Who also made us ad adequate as servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter. In other words, not following every single rule perfectly, but of spirit. The letter kills. The law showed us just how deficient we were. But the spirit gives life. When we become a Christian, we decide to follow God. His spirit, he puts in us because of what Christ did. Because of his sacrifice, he puts it in us. Further in Corinthians, but the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of could look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face fading as it was. It's interesting, Paul calls this the ministry of death. The old covenant, the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. The reason being is all it did was condemn. It didn't save. It showed you how, how, how far you fall short of the will of God. Jumping down to eight. For will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glory? For if the ministry of the condemnation has glory, the first covenant, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory, the new covenant? For indeed, what had glory in this case had no glory because of the glory that surpasses it, the new covenant. For if that which fades away was with glory, the covenant had glory, much more that which remains is in glory, the new covenant. In Romans, and he has a lot of discussion, matter of fact, the middle part of Romans talks about the difference between the two. I'm gonna jump on down to verse four. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to him, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So there he's talking about you have to be dead to the law in order to be alive through Christ. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Here he's driving the point home where he talks about it in other places. He says, I didn't know what was wrong until the law showed me it was wrong. And when it showed me it was wrong, then I wanted to go do it. So Paul's contrasting that to say, it helped in our sinful passions and like that. When we knew what was wrong, we wanted to go do it. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we were serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. 
the contrast he here has here now is to say the old law, you tried to follow the rules. You tried it from a contracts, contract standpoint to say, if I keep these rules here, God's obligated to give me salvation. But under the Spirit, the Spirit helps you follow God, and you stay in a preserved state with God because of the Spirit, because of the blood of Christ. So it's a totally different covenant that says it's a rule-based one as opposed to a grace-based one. He talks about it again in Ephesians. This is talking about the difference between the Gentiles and the Jews specifically and what kept them apart. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. So he says, you guys, you're out. You were the Gentiles. You weren't part of the Jews. You weren't part of God's people at all. But now in Jesus Christ, who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That barrier dividing wall was the law. They were trying, the Jews were trying to keep it, and it wasn't to the Gentiles at all. Christ broke down that wall by bringing in a new covenant that was open to everyone, whereas in the old covenant, it was only open to to the Jews. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that he himself, he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. The enmity here is the law. The enmity was the old covenant because nobody could keep it, and it kept people separated. It didn't bring people together for God. Looking at Galatians kind of puts the, the, the exclamation point in my mind as far as the difference. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the uh, Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law under the old covenant, but through faith in Jesus Christ under the new covenant, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, that justification is what is in the New Testament, not by the works of the law. You didn't earn it. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Reason being, you can't be justified because you can't keep it perfectly. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I proved myself to be a transgressor. So if those people who are trying to reinstitute the old covenant with the old law, after it's been put aside, well, what does that prove? You're not living by faith anymore. You're now a transgressor because you could never keep the law that was there to begin with. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Through the law, through the law, Christ was proven to be perfect. He was proven to be the perfect sacrifice. So by that perfect sacrifice, the law was put aside. It was put aside so that we could live with God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died needlessly. If he was insufficient to forgive our sins, then he died for no reason at all. So that's kind of the, to me, that's a, an exclamation point that Paul puts on it to say, you can't have the old covenant. The takeaway, no part of the old law under the first covenant applies today. Not even the Ten Commandments. Everything is the new covenant. Everything's contained in the new covenant. Everything's covered on the basis of the new covenant with love and grace and mercy, whereas the older one was following rules. He opened up that door for us when he died and was resurrected, when he went to that eternal tabernacle for us. And I'm pretty sure everybody here has followed Christ. But if not, you can come forward. But if you have something that's bothering you, if you need to be strengthened also, that's what he does. That's the spirit that he put in all of us, is that spirit helps strengthen us, helps bring us to God, brings us close to God through his grace, through his mercy. If we can help you this, this evening, come forward as we stand and sing. Chuck, thanks for that message. Um, it is important to know it's, it's not law-based. Uh, if it was, even like you say, the Ten Commandments, some of that stuff, it's simple because it's, it's huge, but if you mess up on one of those, there's still a pathway back. So, thanks for that message. Um, thanks for joining us tonight here on Orange Carpet or your own Orange Carpet at Home. Bulletins, we got some here, got some online, some in the mail coming, if you get it that way. So grab one of those. It's got people to pray for, it's got a schedule, it's got all kinds of things like that. 
Uh, I read this card this morning. I'm still carrying it. It didn't hang it on the wall, but it's from Nancy Aggie. Dearest Church of Christ friends, so grateful. There are amazing people in the world, people like all of you. Thank you for your help, support, and caring during our passing of Gene. Love the Aggie and Neuterman families. So I'll hang that on the bulletin board. Uh, a couple notes here. Um, coming up on the schedule, this Thursday, this Thursday, this Thursday, the senior adults are going to have games here from 10 to 12. Uh, the rumor is true. They will be the floor is lava is the game of choice this week, okay? So come join in for the sushi bait at least laughs. So we're going to have uh, lunch after that. So uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you're going to come for the game day, sign up on there, and they're going to choose what for lunch. Um, June 16th, in a couple weeks, senior adults are going to the Fujiyama down in Melbourne. At 10.30, the Jesus Man leaves, and they're going south. Looks like some good choices on that menu, a pretty good, uh, pretty good selection of stuff. If you like that kind of food, I do, so uh, it'll be a good time. Who knows, I might even take off work just to eat Fujiyama. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday evening, graduation celebration. It's going to be right here. We're going to celebrate Chase, Jamie, Gracie, and Nikki. Uh, we're going to have finger foods and ice cream and stuff like that back in the fellowship room, so come if you can. Good news this week. Uh, Gracie Eggleston chose to be baptized. She put on Christ. Uh, we are all very thankful for that. Very, very thankful. Pack the pulpit. This is the final Sunday. It doesn't mean you can't keep helping. If you want to bring food, bring it. You want to put a check and put food pantry on the memo? We keep track of that. So put that in the box. You'll be good. Uh, there's continued need here in the community. Prayer updates. Um, Megan Duffy will have heart surgery on Tuesday. Keep her and Shad in your prayers for that. Vince Lentry had a stroke last Sunday. He's home, but he's having an MRI on Wednesday. So uh, keep them in your prayers. Karen Hassabar had a knee replaced. Uh, she won't be released until she can walk. Now, I understand it's been several years since she's walked. So that's, uh, that's going to be quite a battle right there. Um, Betty, Betty Larner, she's a radiation therapist on Wednesday to begin the plan for her treatment. So. Uh, that's about it. Uh, join us if you can. Oh, good news for Betty. Her lymph nodes are cancer-free. That's a great thing right there. That is a very big thing. Uh, Bible study right here on Wednesday night here in the auditorium or online. Matt's going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So join us if you can. Try to be as interactive as we can. We monitor the chat room. So join us if you can. Thank you. Stay, uh, stay faithful. Stay safe better.
Please bow with me. Father, thank you for tonight and for Chuck's emphasis on how much you love us. So often we think we can do it without you and we can't. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for allowing him to die in our stead so that we can be given salvation. I ask that you bless the congregation here and help us to spread the love that you have for us to them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being my home. Um, thank you for welcoming me back. I will be going to D.C. for the rest of the summer on Wednesday. So uh, prayers for that new job.